Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I know that uh, many of you, maybe most of you, are taking time before you come to church on Sunday to read the selected passage of Scripture that our sermon uh, will be uh, based on for the week. Uh, you get the emails. If you don't get the emails, you can check our church webpage. And usually by Wednesday, there's a new uh, announcement up there, and we put the uh, chapter that we're going to be studying together. I know most of you are doing that. I just encourage you to continue to do that. And as you read uh, the Scripture, you prepare your hearts to come and worship and learn together. Uh, this morning, we got back last night uh, quite late, with the flight delays and so on, about midnight from our vacation. And um, so this morning we were having breakfast, and Teresa said, what is the passage this morning? And so she, uh, I said, Nehemiah 4. So she read Nehemiah 4, and her comment afterward was, wow, that's quite a story. You can make a movie out of that one. <laughs> so, so this morning I ask you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4. If you are visiting with us, if you've been traveling, been gone, we are studying, uh, preaching from Nehemiah each week, and basically we'll be doing one chapter per week. Um, except there'll be one week where we'll put two chapters together. And uh, we are looking at this entire story of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem uh, during this time just before the Old Testament era comes to an end. Last week, Pastor Kevin preached from chapter 3 on the uh, rebuilding of the walls, the the effort that was going into that. And today we're going to continue with chapter 4. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word Uh, Once again, it is our prayer that we will hear your words. Our hearts will be open to your word, be sensitive to it. Uh, We pray, Lord, that uh, you will speak to us through it. And so we also ask your blessing on our children as they meet, uh, as they meet around your word through song, through Bible study. Uh, We thank you for the leaders who uh, spend so much time each week preparing for these children and put their heart and soul into that ministry. We just thank you for that. We thank you for those working with uh, early childhood in the nursery today. Uh, we ask your blessing upon each of them as well. We thank you for the privilege of coming as a family to worship, to learn together, for the privilege of teaching our children and young people your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, you might wonder why uh, we, we actually take time to uh, spend time in the Old Testament together. And um, as, as we do, uh, throughout the year, we've, we preach from the New Testament epistles, from the Gospels, from the prophetic books, the Old Testament books. The reason we do that is uh, we understand that the, the teachings for the church, the body of Christ today, were revealed uh, through the Apostle. The Apostle Paul was called to take the message to the Gentile world, which is our world. And we realize that we find the specific teachings that, you know, for us, for our hope, for the rapture, the indwelling Holy Spirit, for our eternal security in Christ in those epistles. But at the same time, as you read the epistles, and especially the Apostle Paul's epistles, of all the authors, he the most directs us back to the fact that the Old Testament was written for our understanding, and it can be used to encourage us, to help us to learn, uh, and, and, to, and to grow. And so uh, the Apostle Paul said, all Scripture is given by God and is profitable, all Scripture. And there are numerous places where he makes reference to that. 
And so uh, as we read this Old Testament book and study it together, uh, there's much we can learn because these are big principles that have to do with God and people that we can learn about and make application to our lives. Our theme today is, as we've been singing together and our scripture together, our theme today has to do with dealing with adversity, dealing with uh, oppression or opposition, dealing with fears and worries. And we come to a point in this building project of the walls of Jerusalem where Nehemiah has gone back and has rallied the people to begin, as Pastor Kevin preached last week, to begin this process of building section by section the walls of Jerusalem so they can finish the temple and have their place to worship and have their core and center of their Jewish life again in Jerusalem. And in chapter 4 we read, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, we've already run into this man, uh, he's one of the enemies of the, of the people of Israel, he became angry and he was greatly incensed. He ridiculed, ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are, these, are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, it would break down their walls of stone. And we're going to see here that they're going to see a series of problems and opposition, persecution, if you will, for God's people. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, you should expect persecution. He said, after all, if they persecuted me, and if you are my followers, wouldn't you expect that they will persecute you? And he told his disciples as he gathered them together uh, during that time of the Last Supper, and he warned them. And, and in fact, we know that every one of those disciples was martyred for Christ, gave their life. And even the Apostle Paul, who became an apostle as well, and Matthias, who replaced Judas, as far as we know from church history, they were all martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least, as in John's case, died probably as a prisoner uh, in, of the Romans. T Paul says in Timothy, In fact, everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's from the Apostle Paul, written to us. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The Apostle Paul speaks of the enemy's tools, his opposition. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, We are not ignorant of his devices. We know that Ephesians 6 speaks of the spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. And so we see here, as God is at work among his people... And they are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And we see God's work coming to fruition. There is going to be opposition. There is going to be a challenge. Satan is behind this. And we see here two particular men mentioned, Sanballat and Tobiah. And these particular men represent two groups of those people surrounding the Israelites, the Jews. And in fact, as you read this story, you'll see that they are surrounded really on all sides. Uh, they are opposed by all 
who want nothing to do with the city being rebuilt. It's much like today. We heard this last week from the president of Iran that uh, Israel, the state of Israel, that Israelis have no claim on that territory. They have no historical claim on that land. Um, and we know from the Bible they do have an historic claim on that land. And we know just as today that at this time there were all those around who wanted to put a stop to this, who wanted to end this work, who were persecuting them. And what we have going on here in these verses, you have to kind of read between the lines a little bit as you read this, because you'll notice in verse 4 that Nehemiah responds to this. Hear us, O our God, we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Why did Nehemiah offer this? This is, this is similar to what we call an imprecatory prayer. In the Psalms, we have, the, we have King David, we have the prophets every so often calling down destruction on their enemies. Um, and why would Nehemiah do this? Well, the reason he does this is Sambalat and Tobiah are issuing these um, insults, this mockery, in the hearing of the people building. Clearly, that's what's going on here. They are announcing this. They are announcing to the Jews, look at your work. Look at what you're doing. You're feeble. He calls them feeble Jews. Are you going to be able to restore this wall? Are you kidding me? You think you're going to rebuild this broken down wall? Do you think you're going to offer sacrifices? Can you bring stones back to life that are laying in rubble? And then they, then they join in. If even a fox goes up on that wall you're building, a fox, you know how big a fox is? I saw a fox in, uh, where did I see a fox? Arizona. We were down in Arizona this summer. I haven't seen too many around here. But uh, they're not very big. They're not very big, are they? And he says, if a fox goes up on that, a fox goes up and lands on what you're building, it's going to crash. That's all it's going to take. And so what we see here is opposition to the Jews' work by mockery. They are mocking what they are doing. They are insulting. They are trying to, to, to make light of what the, their efforts in front of the people to put fear in their hearts. They are gathered around. They are surrounded on all sides. And they are being mocked. And so Nehemiah responds verbally for the people. And says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. Now, when you see this prayer here, this could be a little troubling to some. Say, wow, you know, um, that's pretty strong that, that Nehemiah is, is calling down judgment from God on these people. Well, um, that's part of the Old Testament story. These people, they, they are mocking God. This is a blasphemy against God because this is God's work. Now, certainly we must be a little careful. You know, if, if, if we suffer persecution or opposition today, if, if someone mocks you for your faith, makes fun of your beliefs, um, I, I'm hoping you're not calling down judgment on them. You know, I'm hoping what you're doing is praying for them for salvation. We have the full unfolding of Scripture. And one of the things we teach in our, in our church is the progressive revelation of God's Word. We see on, on the cross of Calvary, when the Lord Jesus Christ was on there and, and they mocked him and they said, look, look at him. He, he saved others. He's hanging on the cross. He can seek saved others, but he can't save himself. Come on down if you're the, if you're the Christ. And they made fun of him. And this is they hurled insults and they laughed at him and they mocked him. And what was Jesus response on the cross of Calvary? Do you remember? What did he say? Father, what? 
Forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't call down judgment on them. He asked God to forgive them. Maybe Saul of Tarsus was standing in that crowd. He was a a leading rabbi, a Pharisee. He was soon to be persecuting the church, killing Christians. And so when we read this, yes, we, we, we must be careful what we apply to our lives today. We understand that God will judge sin. God will judge those who reject him. God will judge those who blaspheme and reject Christ. But in this era of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we have to offer is salvation. And I, I just want to stop. This, this is outside this Old Testament story, but I don't want anybody to leave this room today. I don't want to make any assumptions. I don't want anybody to leave this room today and, and not at least have heard how much God loves you. God loves you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God and fully man. He did go to the cross of Calvary, as I've just said. And he hung on that cross. He was pierced with a sword. He was, his, the spikes were through his hands and feet. He was punished by God. It, proved, it pleased God to crush him. Why? Because God's anger, the Bible tells us, God's anger and wrath against sin because God does judge sin. He is a righteous God. And he poured out his anger and wrath against the sin of humanity on on his own son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Jesus took my sin on that cross of Calvary. And all that he asks of you is that you put your belief and faith in that and that you humbly acknowledge that, yes, I am a sinner. It's not a matter of what I've done or what you've done, how much, you know, we're not how much we stack up and how much. You know, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. No, it's a matter that we are born as sinners. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you've perfect and never sinned in your life, you, you know that's not true. And God is righteous and pure and holy and just. And God will judge sin. But in this dispensation, this era today, we have the privilege of offering you forgiveness for sins and eternal life. We, we don't pray... We don't pray today that God will judge you. We pray today that you will receive Christ as your Savior. If you refuse to, yes, God's judgment will come. But this, I just want you to know that before we move on to Nehemiah. I don't want anybody to leave today not having heard that God loves you. God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And so we come back to Nehemiah. And the first opposition is that of mockery. But it doesn't end with Nehemiah's prayer. Let's look at the next section here. After Nehemiah prays and, and, and calls down God's judgment on, on their enemies and their blasphemy, it says here in verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it had reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever been involved in a significant building project. I remember when we built this church, I was in junior high at the time, and the, the thrill of seeing the building go up and having a part in it. And oftentimes it's that halfway point that's really critical, isn't it? Have you ever been involved in a significant project, whether it's building, whether it's building a computer program, whether it's, uh, your, you know, something in your job, whether it's a, uh, a humongous term paper, you know, and it's, it's an assignment. And halfway point oftentimes kind of the discouraging point, isn't it? You get halfway there, 
and you know what you've accomplished, but you know how hard it was to get halfway, and that means you got the other half to go still. And it was a discourage. It could be a discouraging time if if you're not careful. This is this is typical. And at this halfway point, once again the enemies start in. They've rebuilt it halfway. The people have worked hard. In verse seven, but when Sanbala, Sanballat, and here we're going to get all four of the surrounding peoples. They are surrounded on all sides. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashad, that's, that's over toward the Philistia area, the, the coast. So they're surrounded all the way around. When they heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. Don't be surprised when there's, you know, you should not be surprised when people oppose what God teaches in his word. It shouldn't surprise us. I mean, like the Lord said, if, if they persecuted me, what do you expect? They will persecute. Satan does not like God's word. You know that. I don't have to tell you that. And there's opposition. And so they plot together. And, they, and, they, and, and here's what they say once again. When they heard this, they were angry. And they all, verse 8, they plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God. We posted a guard day and night to meet the threats. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, now again, you got to read between the lines a little bit. What's going on here? The, the city is it's sort, of like, it's sort of like a fort, you know, a fort whether in medieval times and the western frontier, some, you know, a fort is not where everybody lived. A fort is where you came for protection. It's where the military was headquartered, the leader was headquartered, and you would go there for protection. The city of Jerusalem, not only is it not where everybody lives, it's where most of the people don't live. They are, they are spread throughout the Judean area. And, they, and, and so what's happening is, as, as Kevin preached you last week, and you saw this wall being rebuilt all the way around, the people were coming from all over the area. The men were coming, especially into Jerusalem, to work on this wall. Their families, many of them, lived in the outlying areas, completely unprotected, completely at the mercy. They, they do not have an army. These other people have armies. They have military guards. Now, they are all under the Persian king. Remember that. They are all under the Persian king, and the Persian king has given permission for this project. Nehemiah has lived in Susha, the capital of Persia, modern-day Iran. And he knows what power they have. He's seen their military. Nobody can touch them. Egyptians, nobody can touch the Persian Empire at this point. They are the superpower on earth. He knows that. These people that are in Jerusalem, many of them have not seen that. And they are scattered throughout the area. And it, and it, and it says here that, that, that as, they, as, as this battle is going on and they plot together, in verse 10, the people, of, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble. We cannot rebuild the walls. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to this work. And the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. You see what's going on here? To, these, to, the, to the Jewish people that are living outside Jerusalem, these enemies are spreading rumors and they are threatening them and saying, we're going to attack. Your men are over there building that city, but we want you to know wherever they turn, we're going to attack them. 
And what's happening, it appears, is that the people are coming from the outlying areas to Nehemiah and say, Nehemiah, what, what's going to happen to us? We're at their mercy. The men are there building. We're at the mercy of these, of these, of these enemies. They're going to kill us. They're going to attack us. And so the, the enemy tries to defeat them by intimidation, by striking fear into their hearts. And we see this strongly in this section, that they are trying to intimidate them, trying to make them fearful, trying to make them anxious. Now, I'm going I'm to read between the lines a little bit more my, personally. I think personally, Nehemiah probably knows that these people are not going to attack. Because if they do, they are going against the orders of the king of Persia. And he knows how much power they have. I think Nehemiah probably knows that. But the people don't fully appreciate that. And they are being intimidated. Fear. They are being made fearful. Are you fearful of anything? Am I the only one that gets afraid of things? Would you say, yeah? <laughs> Are you afraid of anything? Is there anything in your life this last week that you've thought about that caused you some fear or anxiety as you look toward the future? Anything? You know, I, uh, we have a variety of ages. Wonderful thing in this church. We have a variety of ages. There's wonderful young people here with us. We got in between. We got seniors. We got people at our church, several uh, close to or in their hundreds. Um, we've got the whole age spectrum here. And if I were to ask one of our dear friends who is maybe in that upper end of age, looking back over your life, what were some of the things that brought you the most fear? And you know, the things that they would talk about are the very things that some of you young people, things that you fear today, college students, young adults, uh, families with young children. When you think about the future of your children and raising them and, and, and all the things ahead, uh, you know, the middle part. Whatever age we are, we look back and there are many things that bring fear into our life. Think about fear. These people are being made afraid. They are being intimidated. And fear has an amazing way to paralyze our work for God, doesn't it? It paralyzes us. Fear can paralyze you. It can also it can also prompt and, and move you to action. But oftentimes it, it paralyzes and, and, we, and we stop because we're afraid. You think back over your, think, think, however old you are, probably, if you think back, of the things that brought the most fear into your life, well over 95% of them never happened. Right? The things that, that you fear the most probably aren't going to happen. It's the things you don't know about, the things you don't think about. Yesterday, as we were flying in from, uh, we were down in Mexico, a wonderful vacation down in, uh, on the coast of Mexico, and a beautiful time down there. It was just wonderful. And we had a stop in San Francisco on our plane. We are flying into San Francisco. And, and I've got things I'm thinking about, like my sermon tomorrow. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> I did this the week before I left. Uh, maybe I should have had Gary or Kevin preach today, you know. <laughs> Uh, am I going to, you know, get up there and not have anything to say? That's kind of fearful for a pastor, right? You know, it'd be like you guys coming up and, what, what are we going to sing? We have nothing to sing today. Um, I've got things down the road I'm thinking of that I that bring, you know, some anxiety into my life. And I'm thinking about, you know, it's just natural. 
some things coming up and also, you know, what's happened while I was gone this week, you know, and so like that. Those things I'm thinking about probably aren't going to materialize. I mean, here I am and I've got plenty to say. I'll take the next 10 minutes and you, you know, I've got plenty to say. Uh, the things that I was worried about are all going to work out. We're flying into San Francisco and we're just getting, you know, if you've ever flown in San Francisco, you come right over the water and uh, all of a sudden the land's there. You know, there's not, there's not much room for error. You know, you come right over the water, you look at the water, you're about, there's the ground and all of a sudden there's the blue lights. And we're coming into land, and, you know, the next thing is that, you know, everything, you know. And we keep going and keep going and keep going. All of a sudden you realize, we're not going to land. We're still going, and this runway can't go forever, you know. And sure enough, up we go. Um, and uh, we didn't land. And we had to do a, a circle around. Well, there's a little space of time be- before, the, before the pilot comes on to tell you what's going on. And, you know, I'm so used, just like you, to, you know, air travel is so wonderful and safe, isn't it? I mean, it's just, don't even think about it. It's just, you know, I'm safer there than I am driving home on my car to church, you know. And I never even think about it. And all of a sudden your mind starts thinking, why didn't we land? You know what? I don't remember hearing the landing gear go down. Yeah, I didn't say anything. You know, I was just I'm not panicking or anything. Or, What's going on? You know, I just, you know. <laughs> but it did occur to me, I didn't hear the landing gear go down. I wonder if there's a problem with the landing gear. Well, then I remembered I was on a Boeing 737, and it wasn't an Airbus. And on an Airbus, you really hear the landing gear go down. It's like someone's cranking a wheel. You ever notice that? And the Boeing, it just kind of slides down, you know, like it's supposed to, and you don't really hear much, you know. But it did occur to me. I wonder if our landing gear, I wonder if we're, and then I'm starting to think about that plane that landed in the water back in the East Coast, you know. Meanwhile, we're circling around. And the pilot comes on. And says, um, yeah, we obviously didn't land and couldn't quite understand what he had. I'll have to ask Paul Webster, but he says something about a vector. Um, and I, and I, and obviously what happened is it was just, you know, they're safe and sorry. And there was probably, a, you know, some uh, on the runway that didn't get out on time or something. And it just, you know, let's just go around and do it again and make sure. And we were fine. But I never, you know, it's the things you don't anticipate, the, the fear that comes in your life. Most of it never happens. And the things that do happen, we're going to see that God has a way of bringing you through those few things that do happen that we didn't anticipate. Fear can paralyze you. They're being intimidated. This is not looking too good. And the people are paralyzed. In verse 13, Nehemiah steps in. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. This was not an army. This was a civilian uh, militia. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each one to his work. And I want you to tuck away now, if you're reading along with me, I want you to tuck away in your head what Nehemiah is doing here. Like I said, I think Nehemiah is probably aware that they're probably not going to attack them. Intimidation. And then from that day on, 
verse 16, half my men did their work, while other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers were posted, posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building a wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. What's happening here is the enemy is trying to stop this work and cause fear amongst them by mockery, by intimidation. And we see in verses 10 through 12, we see that in verse 10, that the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble. We cannot rebuild the wall. The people are getting discouraged. It's hard work. It wasn't going to be easy rebuilding this wall. It is hard physical work. And now they're discouraged. They've been mocked. They've been intimidated. They're discouraged. And the whole thing is about to come to a standstill. And no one has fired a shot. No one has slung an arrow. No one has thrown a spear. No slingshot rock. Nothing. But the whole thing is about to fall apart because of fear and the opposition. What does Nehemiah do? As you've read through this with me, and we've come to verse 20. Well, let's finish the story. This is a good story. Let's finish the story. Then we'll come back and, and see what Nehemiah has done. Think about what Nehemiah is doing. So we continue to work with half the men holding spears. From the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. I think the King James says, except to wash them. Does it say that? Yeah, okay. I'll have to look and see if that's in the Hebrew or not. I mean, maybe that's the implication, or maybe someone's just kind of helping us out, you know, except to wash our clothes. But you get the idea. They, they, are, they, are, they are working around the clock. They are sleeping in their clothes. They are sleeping with their weapons. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. I think that's the part that the King James says, except when we had to wash our clothes. Even when we went for water. Fear by mockery. You know about this. Fear by intimidation. Does anything intimidate you? Fear by discouragement. Do you ever get discouraged? Have you ever been discouraged? Uh, there's a wonderful story uh, in one of the... In one of the the, the books I read that I used for this series. Let me just read this to you. I thought this was an old book I've had for a long time on Nehemiah that when I taught it in Sunday school years and years ago. This is just a, this is just a tale. This is not scriptural. It's a tale. There's a familiar legend that the devil put his tools up for sale, marking each for public inspection with its appropriate sale price. Included were hatred, envy, jealousy, deceit, lying, and pride. Laid apart from these was a rather harmless-looking but a well-worn tool marked at an extremely high price. A buyer pointed to this tool and said, What is the name of this tool? That is discouragement, the devil replied tersely. Why have you priced it so high? Because it is more useful to me than the others. 
I can pry open a man's heart with that when I cannot get near to him with the other tools. Once inside, I can make him do whatever I choose. It is badly worn because I use it on almost everyone. Since few people know, it belongs to me. The devil's price for discouragement was so high, it is said, that this tool was never sold. He continues to use it on God's people, causing spiritual growth to be stifled and many a worthwhile Christian project to grind to a halt. This is the tale. It's not in the Bible. Don't look for it in the Bible. But I think we all understand what is being said there. We get discouraged. I get discouraged. You get discouraged. God's work, it gets discouraging, whether it's here in this corner, whether it's in the mission field, no matter where it is. It gets discouraging sometimes. And Satan uses that to stop, to put fear in our hearts, to intimidate us. But what does Nehemiah do? How does Nehemiah rally his people? When all is said and done, the wall is going to go up. The wall is going to be finished. These enemies who are all around, they, they outnumber them. They have, they have weapons. They have military expertise. They are frightening. Some of these people are really, this is a tough neighborhood. This is a tough neighborhood. I remember years ago, Netanyahu, before when prime minister, and, and was asked about, he said, hey, this is a tough neighborhood. We live in a tough neighborhood. We know how to live here. It's a tough neighborhood. And this is tough. And it's dangerous. But what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah leads him by example. You notice Nehemiah doesn't scold them, doesn't berate them. Nehemiah leads by example. Do you think that while everybody else is working and carrying the sword and, and chipping in, do you think Nehemiah is off in his palace tent somewhere as the cupbearer to the king? No, everything happens here is we, 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 I. Nehemiah leads by example. If you want to lead, friends, you have to lead by example. You have to be in the work. You have to be involved in the work. Nehemiah leads by preparation. Isn't this interesting? I really don't think Nehemiah is expecting a battle. I, I, like I told you, I think he knows that, that for those people to go against the king's edict, if the army from Persia comes down, there, there will be no contest. I think he knows that. But he instills confidence by preparing for the battle just in case. And while they work, he prepares them and gives them confidence by giving them the weapons they need to defend themselves. Um, you, might, you might have noticed the, the title to my sermon today. And this is kind of a generational thing. And it's not my generation. But my music tastes are rather eclectic. I like all genres of music. Uh, anybody who knows me well knows that. I won't list some of the ones I like because you may not like them. But um, one of the genres that we like is uh, music from the, from the 40s, the, the standards, the big band era, some, some great music there. And there was a song that when we listen to one of the stations every so often comes on that you probably wouldn't write and sing today, but it was popular in the 40s. Anybody here from that generation, you can finish it for me. Praise the Lord and... Pass the ammunition, okay. Yeah, it doesn't sound too, um, you know, love your neighbor and so on. But but the, <laughs> where, where that came from, I could sing it for you. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Hey, of course, I know that song, you know. 
Well, where, where it came from was, it came from supposedly, now I never know when I see this, someone's going to say, no, that's not right, but I'm just, it's on the internet, so it's true. The USS, the USS New Orleans during the attack on Pearl Harbor, the ammunition hoist did not have power, making it nearly impossible to get more ammunition topside to the gun crews. 54-pound shells, 54 pounds, had to be pulled up the powerless hoist by ropes attached to their metal cases. Every man with no specific job at the moment formed ammunition lines to get the shells to the guns. And uh, the chaplains, everybody there, and the idea was, chaplain, go ahead and pray. But while we're praying, there's a battle going on. Let's pass the ammunition and let's get it up there. We can do both. And, uh, and, and this, this, this idea, Nehemiah, let's pray, let's look to God, and let's prepare. And I want to tell you, friends, one of the ways that we deal with getting, a, getting out of our paralyzation by fear is to make plans and, and prepare and, and do what God has us to do. Like I said, most of the things that you fear in your life are not going to happen to you. Most of the things that you have feared in your life have not and probably aren't going to happen. There are some things that are going to happen. And are you prepared? Are you willing, with God's help, to face those? And if you are, then, as reasonable Christians, as people with minds and understanding and faith, we need to work together and make plans and do what we can to face those. The results are in God's hands. And Nehemiah prepares the people. He instills tremendous confidence in the people by preparing them to fight their enemies, a fight that probably is not going to come, but it gives them the confidence and encouragement that they have made reasonable plans. They have looked at the situation. They've seen what God wants of them. They've made plans, and they've moved ahead. And they will finish this wall. Now, there's one more that's the most important one. It pops up in this passage over and over. It is the controlling and the guiding feature of this story. I told you, Nehemiah instills confidence. Nehemiah leads by leadership. Nehemiah makes plans. He praises the Lord and passes the ammunition. But there's one thing I haven't mentioned that just jumps off the page. And what is it? Nehemiah prays. Read the chapter again. Go home and read it again. And you will see at every critical point, Nehemiah prays to God. And what Nehemiah is doing, he is directing his people to God's preserving power. This is God's fight. Nehemiah says, God will fight for us. But he doesn't say, so let's just not even think about it. God will fight for us. No, they get weapons, they prepare, they strap them on, they go to work. But he acknowledges when all is said and done, this is God's battle. Your life, you know Christ the Savior, you're serving the Lord. It's God's battle. God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. The book of Revelation, some people find the book of Revelation intimidating and difficult. And yes, it's challenging. But you know what? To that first generation of believers, toward the end of that first century, when they were suffering intense persecution by the Romans, when they read the book of Revelation, I don't think they read through it and said, wow, I can't. I think they read through that book and got to the end and said, hallelujah, God wins. That's the message of Revelation. God wins. Prayer. 
And I just want to close with this this morning. We all face anxiety. We all face fear. We all face persecution, difficulties. We take steps to handle them. We take steps to prepare. We put our lives in God's hands. And, I, you know, when I go visit people in, in my ministry that are in maybe challenging situations, it could be a health situation, it could be a life and death situation, it can be a relationship, it can be financial. Uh, there are certain passages that, that, I, that I often bring from God's Word. And, 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 and I think about it after I think, well, this is so simple. I mean, everybody knows this passage. It's not like I'm telling them anything they don't know. Most people that have, that have been around and have, have looked in the Word and, and you know, you've heard this passage. It's nothing new. But that's the whole point. It's not my words. It's God's Word. And it is amazing in those challenging times when Satan does use intimidation and mockery or fear, anxiety, of difficulty, of things that we, the things we hadn't planned on, all of a sudden these, these are the things that, that really strike fear in our hearts. We hadn't planned on these things. We hadn't even thought about these things. And I find so often, probably more than any passage in Scripture, maybe Romans 8, Philippians 4, 6, and it's so easy for me as a pastor to say this. I, under, I understand that. It's easy when I'm not the one laying in the bed, you know, when I'm not the one who's, 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 whose spouse is, is, is maybe going to be going home. You know, it's easy for me. I understand that. But it's God's Word. And I give this to you today. This, this verse will take you a long way. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer... King James' supplication, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you look at the author of that verse, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul didn't pray that and then sit down and fold his hands and just do nothing the rest of his life. No, Paul says, listen, I worked harder than any apostle. I've suffered more persecution. I've suffered more beatings, more jailings, more mockery. Um, and I, I, my life, he knew his life was going to end in martyrdom. He just kept on going. How'd you like to wake up every single day and, whether, and, and wonder what kind of beating or where you're going to spend in jail tonight? That was Paul's life. But he took and combined that prayer and the peace of God and pushed on and served the Lord. And I'll leave that with you today, friends. If you're, if you're feeling any discouragement, if you have any challenges, if you have any fears in your life, I don't care what age you are, the things that are important to you are important to God. If they're important to you, they're important to God. I give you that verse today. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, shalom of God, that passes all understanding, will build a fort, the walls of Jerusalem, around your heart, all the way up, not halfway. God will build that fort. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can look to you and that we can know 
that our lives are in your hands. And whatever things this day, Lord, that are the most challenging that we face, whatever things that bring us the most fear, the most anxiety, Lord, we, we come back to this verse. The Apostle Paul's admonition for us today. Don't be anxious, but continue, 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 continue to pray and to seek God and your peace will guard our hearts and minds. We thank you for your peace today and we ask for that peace as we go forward and serve you. We're looking forward to our missions conference. We're looking forward to turning in our financial commitments to coming to the meals, to sharing with our missionaries, to sharing in your wonderful work around the world. We're not afraid, God. We're not afraid. We seek your peace and your direction. In Christ's name we pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a reason why that song just resonates in our hearts, young and old. Uh, We love that song because it's so true. And Lord, that's our desire today as we leave this place, that our eyes will be fixed on you. Nehemiah Focus the eyes of his people on you and your peace and your patience and your power brought them to victory. Lord, be our vision this week. And Father, as we leave this place, I just ask once again, if there be a person here today who does not know Christ as Savior, that they would receive forgiveness for sins. They would receive eternal life through simply acknowledging They need a Savior. Jesus Christ died on a cross, paid for their sins, and is willing to come into their life and bring forgiveness. And Fran, make that decision today. If you'd like to talk to one of us, Pastor Kevin, myself, stop by. We'd love to step aside with you and pray with you. Don't leave this place without Christ as your Savior. In His name, we ask these things. Amen.